Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, I want to welcome you to week two in our attractive series. Now, we are, Jesus was so attractive because he embodied a different ethic, a different value, a different practice, and it stood out in the world that he was in. And as followers of Jesus, we're to be increasingly attractive in a world that is increasingly combative in nature. So last week, Pastor Keith taught us how we can see people as treasures in broken containers. After he was done speaking last week, I, I turned to my wife, Shelly, I said, how is it possible this guy just gets better with age? Uh, his heart, his teaching, his faithfulness, I'm so thankful, and we are blessed as a community to have Keith and Esther Smith as a part of our church family. I'm so blessed to have them as a, as a partner in, this, in these moments and in these series. This week, we're going to turn our attention to the, how do we speak right to someone who's really wrong? How do we speak right to someone who's really wrong? If we're talking about being attractive, a big part of that in this world and culture is the way we speak. Now, the title of this message, Speaking Right to Someone Who's Really Wrong, implies two things. It implies this. One, you will be right. Every one of us will be right on occasion. If you think you're always right or if you know someone who's always right, then they're wrong. See, in an era where we're holding up Everybody's holding up their truth. I have my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, whatever it might be. Uh, we as followers of Jesus are trying to elevate Jesus' truth. Now, I know when people use that phrase in this culture, when they say, well, that's my truth, they're really talking about their story. And I really hope that we as people are patient and gentle, and we have two ears for a reason, that we're listening to people's story. Their experience matters. And so when they talk about their truth, that's often what they're talking about. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is why I keep advocating, and I know Pastor Keith does, and all of our team does here, we keep elevating the person of Jesus. Read about him. Listen to his words. See how he lived his life. Because when our truth that we're really passionate about doesn't line up with his truth, then, then we're wrong. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we really want to elevate the person of Jesus. So the first kind of in the title, speaking right to someone who's really wrong, the first implied thing in that title is simply, you will be right on occasion. The second one is this, being right can be wrong on occasion. Friends, who cares if you're right if you're a jerk? Uh, if we're a jerk, then we're wrong. Uh, so much of our world right now, there's truth police going around everywhere. Uh, pointing fingers at people, and often what we're doing, even I see it even in Christians, we got to be very careful because often we're exclaiming a truth and demanding people behave in a way, and they didn't sign up for Judeo-Christian morality or, or truth, and so they don't see things the same way, but a lot of us can get caught up in the moment, and we start looking a lot like the NFL linebacker Terry Tate when he was hired by the Felcher company to boost productivity in the workplace. 
take a look. When we asked Reebok to send us Terry Tate, some people thought we were crazy. But I'm a firm believer in paradigm breaking, outside the box thinking. Hey, buddy. Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! And since Terry's been with us, our productivity has gone up 46%. We're getting more from our employees than ever before. You know you need a cover sheet on your TPS reports, Richard! That ain't new, baby! Hey, Terry. Hey, Janice. But what's really impressed me is how Terry's become part of the Felcher family. He fits right in here. That's a long distance call, Doug! To be honest, I wish Reebok sent us 10 Terry Tates. You wanna play games, Gene? Well, when it's game time, it's pay time, baby! Woo! Okay, that's my funniest, I think that's the funniest Super Bowl commercial ever. And the idea is, though, Terry, Terry's not wrong. He, people may be doing wrong things, but his reaction, the way he speaks, the way he acts, makes it wrong, right? I think the Apostle Paul nailed it when he said this, be gracious in your speech. Is that a word you describe the way you sound? Not just at home, but I mean at work, online. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out. In a cancel culture, we're not trying to cancel people or cut them out. We're not trying to put them down. Instead, with our speech, we want to be gracious so that we can bring out the best in others in, in the conversation. In an era of outrage, guys, as in, in an era where outrage actually sells, where hate has become a commodity, as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to be so attractive in living differently and embodying the different ethic, value, and practice that it contrasts from it, from everything that we're seeing in our world around us. So the question we're trying to answer is, how do you speak right to someone who's really wrong? Well, the secret is found in a, it's going to be this week's memory verse, in an ancient part of the Bible, the Proverbs, the wisdom literature part of the Bible. And there's this proverb, in Proverbs 15, chapter, chapter 15, verse 1, I'd love you to say it out loud with me. Say it to everyone in the room or wherever you might be. Say this verse out loud with me. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, this wisdom literature, this, this truth here, really embodies a truth you see in the entire Bible. And it's this. It's this idea that, we, that being in right relationship with people is more important than being more right than people. Being in right relationship with people is more important than being more right than people. We can see this in the person of Jesus. Think about it this way. Jesus was 100% of the time right. He was always right. He's perfect in every way. He could have come to earth and he could have said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you are wrong. And he didn't. He was so gracious with the people that was, were around him. Why? Because just as Pastor Keith encouraged us last week, he saw people as treasure in broken containers. Everyone broken. So he didn't go around pointing fingers. Instead, we see his gentleness on full display. 
So let's look at this memory verse, but let's reverse engineer it. We're going to start with the last part of it first, and then the first part. The last part of that verse says, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man, we live in a harsh world, don't we? And I wonder how many of us have spoken harshly in this life. In fact, let's have a confessional moment, especially if you're with somebody else. Even if you're not, just say it to the screen or jump in the chat room, and maybe it's a good moment for us to all admit, I've been harsh. I've been harsh. You can go ahead. Just turn to someone next to you and just say, I've been harsh. And they may nod in agreement because maybe they've, listen, maybe we've all been a little harsh at times. And a lot of that comes from our woundedness. I've been deeply hurt in this life. Have you? I've been lied to, slandered, gossiped about, betrayed, bullied. Have you? And when we experience all of that hardship in life and the harshness of life, it can kind of make anger a natural response. In fact, we can get ourselves worked up so we're fighting fire with fire, right? We're going to fight fire with fire. But we need to be very cautious here. Not only will Scripture tell you this, but let's let a rock star, actually Bono from the, the, the rock band U2, he said this, and I thought it was very insightful. He said, we must be careful in our efforts to confront or speak to the monster. The monster being your enemy, anyone you villainized in your mind, anyone who doesn't believe like you do, you do and maybe we kind of build in our mind a narrative around them. And he says, we must be careful in our efforts to confront or speak to the monster, not to ourselves become the monster. Man, that happens so easily, doesn't it? Uh, sometimes, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in one of my messages, Sometimes I can't tell the difference between a Christian and somebody else who's not professing to follow Jesus online. They all both look like monsters. If you're not careful, you begin to match anger with anger. You begin to uh, elevate and hostilities and levels of hostilities to match the things around us. So it's so easy in this era to replace grace with a grudge. And why? Because, listen, let's be honest. Being harsh is delicious. It tastes so good initially. It can feel so good to put that person in their place. It can be so, feel so delicious, taste so delicious to out-debate someone, to be able to get the upper hand, to be able to uh, maybe with your words get them into a corner, and it feels so initially delicious. But we need to be careful because anger not all anger is sinful, but anger is a, and I want you to hear this, a powerful emotion, very powerful emotion. And not all anger is destructive, but a lot of it can be. Some anger can be very productive, though. This is why the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he would say, in your anger, in other words, we will experience anger in this life. And he says, do not sin. So there's a part of that anger that's destructive that can actually lead us to a place of sin. So I was thinking this week about where I see some righteous anger that brought about good fruit. Something productive came from it. And I, I, was, taking, I was reading through the letters of, uh, of Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in a jail in Birmingham, Alabama. And he wrote these letters to, a, to the Caucasian or white pastors who privately supported him but publicly hid. And, it, and he writes it in a moment. He's been jailed for protesting. 
And in this moment, some of his colleagues who are white began to say, listen, Martin Luther King Jr., can you just lower the volume on this? You know, you don't need to be so passionate about this, or maybe let's take our time with this. And he wrote this, and I thought these are very insightful words. I'll just read a portion of his letter. He said this, perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you've seen the vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that's just been advertised on television, and see the tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that fun town is closed to colored children, and then see the ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have to concoct an answer to your five-year-old son who's asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you are forever fighting a de degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. That letter was written 58 years ago. Uh, some of you are older than that letter. This is recent history. I mean, it's not Canadian history. It's human history, though. And it has a human connection, and many people have experienced just what Dr. King was describing in this moment. Now, it's interesting when you see how he responded and how he used it. And listen, some anger is very productive. In fact, I like what the old American preacher John Christensen said. He said this, He that is not angry when there is cause sins. Those who are not angered when there is cause, it's actually sin. But friends, anger is so difficult to navigate, especially in their speech, especially when someone's wrong, because it has both a constructive pathway and it has a destructive pathway. And I will say this, and I think you'll acknowledge this, more often than not, the constructive anger that was spoken of in Scripture, the one we'll look at in just a minute, it's very uncommon. It's not normal. The destructive anger, unfortunately, is very common. In Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, case, that constructive anger, that anger against the injustice that was in the world, led him to a nonviolent response. In other words, he wasn't going to use something sinful, something broken, to the ends didn't justify the means. And so often, when we get ourselves in a moment, the ends justify the means. We'll take all kinds of shortcuts. But, but this type of anger actually led to change. It brought something productive. It led to freedom. Constructive anger leads to life-giving outcomes. They always do. They lead to life-giving outcomes. Jesus expressed anger, and this is why it's so important to read the Gospels, because you see how he did it. He expressed anger, but it was never anger to control people. It was never anger to get something he wanted or needed. It was never anger to dominate with his perspective. 
It was an anger that was motivated to free people. It was always to protect them. It was always to bless them. It was an anger that was expressed when he it was even directed at people. It was directed at systems. It was directed at death and sin, anything that would separate people from God. See, he was embodying what Paul talked about. He was bringing out the best in others in this conversation. Even with anger, he was trying to bring out the best in others, not to put them down, not to cut them out. In fact, anger expressed towards you uh, when it is protecting you, when it's blessing you and trying to build you up is a compliment. It's like a mom with a child running into traffic. She gets angry. It's not for her benefit. She gets nothing out of that cathartic moment of anger. She's trying to benefit her son or daughter who's running into traffic by protecting them, blessing them, keeping them safe. But more often than not, we're more familiar with the destructive anger in life. It's more common. And it's motivated from a place of resentment and retaliation. There's a, 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 a desire and agenda to control. There's a selfish ambition, and someone gets in the way of an ambition that we have, or a truth that we know, and all of a sudden, it percolates a retaliatory response. It's really, at its core, is vain conceit. At the, at the core of every sin is this, this ugliness of pride, and it's there. So this destructive anger is punitive in nature. It's aggressive. It's always aggressive. It's trying to assert its, its agenda. It's unrestrained. And that type of destructive anger leads to sin. It's actually that anger that you see crumbles many friendships. It's that type of anger that guts marriages of equality. I've seen this in marriages over and over. Somebody has that destructive anger and they press that button enough and they begin to domineer. So the equality in a relationship becomes unequal. And all of a sudden there's someone here and someone there. Uh, and, and it was never intended to be that way. But that's what anger can do. It leads people to gossip, to slander, to, to just, you know, with little words, just to place seeds of doubt, all kinds of things that'll lead you. To, and I've seen it in church conflicts. I've seen it certainly in political mischaracterization of others. It's a destructive anger that leads us to sin. So before we think of somebody else, think of yourself. Uh, have you been harsh in your speech? Is, is that anger that you express when you get triggered online? You know, triggered by someone's political views, triggered by someone's morality or their values in this life, and you get triggered, and, and your response, you know, it doesn't look like what we're talking about, gentleness. Is that you? My friend, I say that only because maybe we all find ourselves there. Scripture says this, and we need to be aware of this, beware, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. And you have an adversary that wants to sift you. He wants to separate you from the people of God, but he wants to separate you ultimately from God. And it's all of those micro decisions, those micro conversations that produce a macro shift in our life away from the values of Jesus, away from the values of God. And you know what's hard? Often we don't see it in ourselves. Others see it in us though. 
We don't sound like Jesus. We don't smell like Jesus. We stop looking like Jesus. Maybe we're not following Jesus. But there's an alternative, and it's found in the first part of this verse. When we're in this culture that's increasingly combative, combative, we can be increasingly attractive when we do this. A gentle answer or response turns away wrath. A gentle answer or response turns away wrath. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. This is our superpower, gentleness. Our superpower is gentleness in this era, for sure. It's contrasting everything we see around us. Now, gentleness is not weakness. Far from it, actually. Gentleness is a great expression of great strength. If I was to summarize the New Testament teaching around gentleness, specifically, if you want to study, go to the book of Galatians. Paul talks a lot about this. Gentleness is really power and strength under control for the benefit of others. Gentleness is power and strength under control for the benefit of others. Here's why anger often becomes destructive, because it's not been placed into the container of gentleness. If you can take that anger that you should feel when you see injustices and wrongs in this world, or when you see people maybe that are acting wrong and there's some sort of response in you and you want better for them and it's almost an anger you feel and it's righteous, make sure it's in in gentleness. If you don't put it in the container of gentleness, it's going to do more damage than good. Absolutely every time. King David said this in the Old Testament. One of the great kings of the Old Testament, he said this, you have given me the shield of your salvation. You've saved me, God, and your right hand has supported me. And I pray you have felt that through COVID-19, God's right hand holding you up and supporting you as you journey through this. Then listen to this last part. And your gentleness made me great. What is it about God that's so different than so much of what we experience? The scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his hammer. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's God's gentleness that makes us great. And I want you to think about this as we kind of finish and tie up some things. And we're going to be in Q&A in a moment. If you've got questions around this area, just jump in the chat room, put in your questions. They're going to be curating it. I'm going to come back and answer as many as I can. But, but what is it about this gentleness and reminding ourselves that every time we're triggered and we want to respond with a harsh word and we remember, how gentle has God been with me? How kind has he been towards me? How patient when I was obnoxious, when I was uh, resistant, when I was rebellious, when I was way out of step, when I was way out of line, and God was gracious and kind and good and patient toward me, well, why would I not do to others what God has done for me? And David, we have this great illustration of his life. where I, I, there's, I'm going to share two little stories. One, where David is wrong and somebody speaks rightly to him, and one where David is right and someone is speaking wrongly to him, and see how he responds. The first one is David is wrong. David has sinned greatly. He's had an affair. He's committed adultery. He's murdered. Terrible things he's done. And a man named Nathan, a prophet, comes and rebukes him. And his response is interesting. 
David responds by repenting, and he responds by making restitution for what he had done wrong. How could he respond that way? It was his gentleness that was holding his power and his anger. You see, David was being confronted by a subordinate, someone that was way below his status. He could have had that man killed. He could have used his power. He could have leveraged it to punish him. He didn't need to repent. He could have, he could have stayed at that kingly status and not have to come down and humble himself and repent. And friends, you know, David's not alone in that. Here's the reason why David was able to do that. Our ability to choose gentleness, strength, and power under control is only possible if our character matters more than our reputation. You might want to read that again. It's only possible to choose gentleness in a response to someone who's truly wrong if our character matters more to us than our reputation. You see, David... Interestingly enough, right from the very beginning, his reputation didn't seem to matter as much to him as it did to others. Do you remember that account, some of you would in scripture, where he is dancing before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into Jerusalem, and he's so into it, praising God, that his wife pulls him aside and says, David, calm down, you're embarrassing me. And David will have nothing of it. He cannot be restrained. He is going to worship God. He doesn't care who sees it or who know, what they think of it or not. He cares what God thinks about it. And he's not concerned about his reputation. He's concerned about his connect, character and his connection to God. And so in this moment where he could be, it's very embarrassing to have to repent and to make restitution. He could have chose to exercise his power. Instead, it's power and strength under control, cloaked in gentleness, so he doesn't get angry. He repents. Ah, okay, Jonathan, he was clearly wrong. What if the other person's wrong? Glad you asked. Those times when we have blatant accusations, or maybe those moments when it's a, a political lies and we get triggered online as we see people kind of, you know, purporting their political views, and we just feel the need to jump in and set the record straight. How do we speak right to people who we think, or maybe they are, wrong? Well, King David, again, another story. He's walking down the road with his men, heavily armed, and on the hill above them is a man named Shammai. And Shammai doesn't like how David is leading. David's the leader, and he doesn't like how he's leading Israel. So he starts throwing rocks at him, hurling insults, and cursing him. And he travels along the road with him, throwing rocks at him, hurling insults, and cursing him. And his men start turning to David, and they beg him, let us go up and kill this man. David has the power to do that. David has the power to exercise, to silence his critic. And he doesn't. He chooses gentleness, not weakness, gentleness. Why? Because God's been gentle to, towards him. It's strength and power under control. I was thinking about it this week when I had the privilege of doing a homegoing celebration, a funeral for someone in our church community. Uh, Eglom Weir uh, served in this church for many years as an usher. I remember the first time I met him over 20 years ago. Tall, strong, elegant, uh, like good-looking gentleman. Just what a man. And, and he ushered here, and he was serious about his faith. 
And his son, Junior, at this funeral, before the people that were gathered as well as those online, recounted a story when Junior was at the, he was a young guy at the time, he was at the kind of apex of his rebellion, and just he and his dad were not seeing eye to eye. These are really difficult days. And he talks about a turning point in their relationship and a turning point for Junior. And he said, one day, his dad said, Junior, can you sit on the couch? And Junior sat down next to him. And his dad looked him in the eye and said, please forgive me. And Junior said, initially, I thought it was a trick. And when I realized he meant it, my heart melted. And I asked my dad to forgive me. Eglin was in the power seat, seat of authority. And he made the first move because he valued being in right relationship with his son over being more right than his son. Friends, be wary of people who cannot apologize. Be wary of people who can't ask for forgiveness. Be wary of people who are always right because they value their reputation over their character. Scripture would say this, and I'll say it to you, beloved, be wary if you're the person who never apologizes. Be wary if you're the person who never asks for forgiveness. Be wary if you're the person who's always has to be right because you've elevated your reputation over your character. Friends, in this new world, in the world that we're living in right now, it is gentleness that is the superpower that allows us to be more attractive than reactive. So many things trigger us in this era. How can we be more attractive? By being gentle in our response. So before we go to our Q&A and close out our gathering, and I have a moment to pray with you, uh, let's say the memory verse together aloud again, and maybe with fresh meaning, recognizing that not all anger is unproductive, not all anger is destructive, but if anger is not put into gentleness, it always becomes destructive anger that leads to sin. Let's say it together. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Jesus, we recognize in this moment, every one of us have fallen short when it comes to being gentle. Every one of us have fallen short when it comes to how we express anger, whether we keep it internally bottled up and it becomes passive-aggressive anger, or whether it's domineering anger that gets expressed. We've all fallen short in that category, God. And in this moment and in this safe place, we simply say, forgive us, Jesus. Remind us of your grace your gentleness, your patience, your long-suffering with us, your self-control. God, I pray that you would come alongside of those, especially those who know they really struggle with anger. I, I pray that you give them the courage to seek help. And God, I pray that you would come alongside of them by your spirit and you would get to the root of it. As anger is a secondary emotion, it is really revealing some pain or brokenness in each of our lives. Maybe we feel insignificant. Maybe we feel overlooked. 
I, I pr- just pray that you would remind us of who we are in you, how valued and treasured we are. God, that you look on us and you love us. You delight in us, God. God, you see not only the latent potential in each of us. God, you believe so much in us that you would send your one and only son to come and rescue us. So God, in turn, we declare we believe in you in a loving, gracious, just, and true God. And we trust you. Help us never to resist your correction. Help us to always be open to it. And God, we pray that you'd heal our heart, mind, souls, and bodies so that we can be a gentle reflection of our great Savior in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.